The Last Word with Matt Cooper. John Gibbons, welcome back. Every Thursday throughout 2024, we will have John and his weekly Last Word of the Environment spot. And I want to start with something we've mentioned a couple of occasions last year, the reintroduction of wolves to Ireland, which it seems one Green Minister believes won't happen on the basis that she thinks they'd all be shot if they were brought into the country. Uh, good evening, Matt. Yeah, that was uh, Minister Pippa Hackett uh, quoted in the Irish Times today making that observation and I can't say that uh, she's probably wrong. I think there there is a, there would be a concern, particularly that if you, you know, without properly explaining this, uh, it could certainly cause some some upset. What do you mean say. by properly explaining? Bringing in animals that could go around savaging sheep and various other things and be a danger to humankind? Yeah, well, I guess the first thing, obviously, just to take it off the table, wolves are not a danger to humans. I mean, that's mostly in, in your hands, Christian Anderson. They genuinely aren't. The wolves, are you telling us that fairy tale isn't true? That fairy tale, Matt, is a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But no, seriously, I mean, wolves have been reintroduced in most European countries over the last 10 to 20 years. And they've done so... Uh, very harmoniously. And the critical thing, as we've talked about before in this slot, is that when you when you remove an apex predator from any ecosystem, you cause uh, basically a collapse. So what's ecosystem. an apex predator? An apex predator basically is the top dog. And literally the wolves are the top predators. So they could be, you know, tigers, they could be lions, they could be lynxes, they could be, an Irish case, bears and wolves. So those top predators were all killed off in Ireland. I think the last wolf, I believe, was killed about 260 years ago in Ireland. So what that means essentially is that they, they, our, our natural uh, systems have been disrupted by that because there are no, the job, if you like, of apex predators like wolves is to manage the ecosystem beneath them. For example, they do a fantastic job of, of managing deer numbers and preventing deer from overpopulating and also from damaging. And that is a major problem in our Oh, it's a present. massive problem. And again, we've talked about this uh, last year at enormous expense to the taxpayer. We shot over 50,000 deer. That's over 1,000 deer, Matt, a week. And it has hardly made a dent in the fender because they are breeding basically in a, in a way that... It, that there is no apex predators to control them because no amount of shooters will replace the fantastic job that wolves do. Yeah, but I'll bet you this, that if you were to reintroduce wolves, the people who go out shooting the deer would actually probably go past the deer to go shoot the wolves. Well, that is a danger, and that's why in most European countries they're on what's called a very protected list. Now, this has been contentious. For example, we've seen the EPP, the European People's Party, has been attempting to, to, to have them delisted from very protected to protected, which is a, a slight, uh, you know, in other words, to say that they're kind of fair game under certain circumstances. But the overall gist has been that where you reintroduce wolves in countries like Norway, France, Spain, Italy, they've, they've basically, they get on with their job of managing wildlife. And where, for example... Uh, wolves do kill livestock, which they do. And by the way, uh, the wolves' distant relative, the, the domestic dog, the number one killer of livestock in Ireland today, by a long shot, are basically regular dogs that go hunting in packs for fun. They will chase and harry sheep. Now, of course, wolves in the wild will, 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 will target sheep in uplands and so on. Of course they will. But in France, for example, there's such a generous compensation package uh, for uh, farmers who lose uh, sheep to wolves that it's reckoned that they're over-reporting the kills by a factor of about three. So essentially, you've got to get it right. Of course, you have to compensate uh, anyone for loss of livestock. But the reality is mostly wolves aren't they're not fantastically interested in, in livestock, especially because it, they're, they're, it brings human problems with them. Let's move from the wolves to the badgers because there's been a major British report which has found that badger calls are not the best way to cut bovine TB. So, 
Why do we continue the practice here? First, explain bovine TB to me. Yeah, basically, this is tuberculosis. It's, it's in cattle. In cattle. And this is specifically, it's, it's called BTB, bovine tuberculosis. It's, it's an endemic disease. And of course, like any disease... Uh, cattle and are more prone to, to catching and spreading TB from one to the other when they're in close proximity. So when you, for example, put, you know, cattle in extremely close proximity, large groups of them, herds of them, that you wouldn't have in the wild, this allows TB to spread from one to the other. So, so if you like, one of the pressures on TB generally is in fact uh, increased density. So for example, the, the, an official from the Department of Agriculture spoke at the Public Accounts Committee uh, last year on, that, on this and she identified uh, three key things that are driving uh, bovine TB in Ireland. Number one, the dairy herd expansion and the intensification of dairy. Number two, larger herd numbers. And number three, what is called the fragmentation of farms. And many farmers listening today will know exactly what I mean by that. As people have expanded their herds, they've maybe rented land from their neighbours, which means they're moving cattle around. And also, in some cases, they're having to move slurry around. Now, slurry can contain and can spread bovine TB. So if you're moving slurry around, you may also be spreading TB around. So these are the key things that... But yet we blame the badgers. Yeah, it's, it's always the case. Now, the, 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 the study that you referred to um, was commented on by the, by the Badger Trust. They have such a thing in the UK. And they basically described it. Uh, they said the badger in the UK is a complete scapegoat and distraction. And there's some numbers to support this uh, proposition, Matt. For example... In the UK, 94% of infections are cow to cow, uh, or indeed uh, bullock to bullock, and about 5.7% are badger to cow. So what that tells us is the overwhelming route of transmission is livestock to livestock. However, nobody owns badgers. That makes them an easy target for culling. It makes them, if you like, the the fall guy in this situation. But we're looking here at less than 6% of the transmission involves badgers. And I should say as well, hilariously, badgers, a bit like the Irish hare, are what are called protected species. Under the Irish Wildlife Act, badgers are protected. However, that protection goes out the window when this uh, campaign against them, where they're being targeted uh, as, the, as the, the vectors of bovine TB. And I know this, having, having grown up in the countryside, I know uh, a lot of antipathy towards badgers. But these are you know, social creatures. They have, they have you know, large, complex family groups. They're, you know, they're... And the key thing here is, these are... You're starting to sound like the wind of the willows. A little bit, Matt. But the key thing here is, we have to decide in Ireland, do we want to simply exterminate anything that causes us the mildest inconvenience? Just kill everything. You want to kill wolves, we want to kill badgers, we want to wipe out hares. Is there any... Ah, but you see, the farming community say you'd want to kill the farm. Well, um, in fairness, I think we need to, we need to draw a fair parallel here, Matt. But, but seriously, we in, in Ireland, and I include very much in rural Ireland, we have to find a modus vivendi. We have to find a way to live alongside wildlife and to appreciate it and to make space for it. And also, if that has a, a financial impact, well, then that needs to be covered as well. Okay, but sure. who would the natural predator of the badger be? Badgers don't really have natural predators in Ireland. If, for example, we had wolves and so on, they would be. But in fact, badgers perform really useful ecosystem services in Ireland. For example, they eat 
rats, they eat mice, they eat small rodents, right? So, so they're, they're omnivores, like humans, they'll eat basically anything. They often eat berries and so on, but they will mop up a lot of the things that farmers, in fact, would be delighted to see mopped up are, in fact, uh, are predated on by badgers. Another thing I'll say, Matt, about persecuting badgers. When you persecute badgers, when you chase them out of their sets, some of them will escape. And if you've identified a badger set that is, in fact, contaminated with TB, the likely effect of that is you're spreading that TB further around the countryside. So it's one of those things that you can get an unintended consequence. Now, there are some ways out of this. I should stress that. For example, last year, while the department sanctioned the killing of about 4,000 badgers, uh, they did vaccinate 7,000. So we are seeing a swing finally. And I mean... I think people may be horrified to, be, to hear that, in fact, there is a vaccine for badgers, but it still remains, in some cases, more convenient, or, or sometimes it's just a matter of what we've always done. But the reality is we need to improve our vaccines for bovine TV. We're putting a huge amount of taxpayers' money, by the way, taxpayers' money, into trying to eliminate bovine TB. And I think if we're going to spend that money, we need to get the right results for farmers, but also for the people who are footing the bill for bovine TB primarily, and that is the taxpayer. And also, along the way, we need to, you know, there's, we need to stop persecuting the wrong guy. And in this particular case, the badger is being, in my view, and I think in the view of most experts looking at this, is being unfairly targeted as an, an easy mark. Okay, let's talk about what we expect from our climate in 2024 based on what happened in 2023. Warmest year yet in Ireland, wasn't it? That's right. Metairn actually reported today that 2023 was the warmest year ever recorded in Ireland. And that might come as a surprise to people because we also had uh, extraordinary levels of rainfall and we saw that right through the Christmas period. Now, rainfall in Ireland is, is one of the key manifestations flooding is one of the key manifestations for us of a warming climate because, as we've said many times before, a warming atmosphere carries more precipitation which means more rainfall and also more intense rainfall so what we're experiencing in Ireland when we call warming what most people are actually the the experience we're having of that is in fact torrential downpours but the actual temperatures have risen by I believe it's 1.6 degrees centigrade in Ireland on average and that is having really significant shifts I mean we'll have noticed for example the near disappearance Matt of those hard frost mornings and again the farmers listening to us today who are out in the land they'll be the very people to tell you how many mornings say in 2023 did you get up at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the morning to a hard frost 30 years ago they were completely normal in the winter in, and in that period of time they've gone from completely abnormal to highly unusual. So they're the kind of shifts we're seeing, Matt, right here yeah. in Ireland. And not just a wetter year, but also the intensity of the rain when it came was extraordinary at times. Yes, it is. And, and this is more, again, there's more I mean, this isn't rocket science. There is more energy in the global climate system and we're pouring more and more energy into what amounts to a closed system. And that energy is working its way back out, for example, in right around the world in terms of far more intense heat waves, far more intense flooding events and more prolonged droughts. And what we're seeing also are global redistribution of heat energy. So we're seeing uh, shifts in, in the patterns of rainfall, which of course have enormous consequences, particularly for things like food production, for how people live and where people live. And I think 2024, just to give you a couple of the heads up on this, right? it's reckoned in 2023 we were about 1.4 degrees above pre-industrial. It's reckoned, according to the UK Met Office, that we're going to breach the 1.5 degree uh, above pre-industrial throughout 2024. And one of the projections, Matt, that I was looking at for this uh, has us coming in at about 1.66 
degrees above pre-industrial, which is absolutely crazy. Now, there'll be a couple of listeners, I suspect, saying, well, how can John Gibbons say on the 4th of January what's going to happen in 2024? Sure, doesn't the weather change all the time? Now, I did a little experiment a few years ago, Matt, where I went to the bookies, right, in late December in a particular year, and I said, right, what I want to put a bet of what are the odds of next year being one of the top 10 hottest years on the instrumental record. So they said, well, that's an unusual bet. We'll come back to you. They came back to me and said, right, if you give us 60 euros, and if you're right, we'll give you back 61 euros in a year's time. In other words, it's 60 to 1. So that's what the bookies know about the certainty of climate change. And of course, sure enough, a year later, I got my 1 euro win on my 60 euro stake. That's how absolutely certain the actuaries on this. And I say that because there will be people saying, sure, look, things are always changing. Yes, they're changing, but they're changing in one direction at yeah, the moment. And then they'll also say, what does it matter? Sure, does it matter if we have things a little bit warmer? Won't that be nice if we don't have that frost to deal with in the morning? Sure. Again, I suppose what we've seen across... Uh, Europe, across Australia, across the Americas, across Asia last year. Yeah, but that's there, it's not Ireland. Sure, yeah. The problem with Ireland is we've got this great big hunk of ocean right beside us, Matt, as you know, uh, just just uh, west of Galway, uh, the North Atlantic. And effectively, at the moment, that North Atlantic has been our friend in Ireland because it's effectively been a gigantic maritime heat buffer. But the North Atlantic, we had 40 million square kilometres of the North Atlantic last year recorded a full maritime heat wave. The problem with that is that means more energy. And Ireland is in the track for vastly more dangerous storm systems and flooding events as a result of a rapidly heating um, Atlantic system. But you are right. When you go into the continental Europe and continental uh, Africa and so on, you get the intensity of heat. We have so far, so far, avoided, for example, a 40 degree uh, temperatures as they got in London two years ago. But... Um, that's just really by dint of our maritime location. Thank you very much, John Gibbons. We'll see you again next Thursday. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.